We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Today we're in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. I just got back from vacation. I was gone for five days. And so I'm kind of in vacation mode in the sense that um, just relaxed. It was a really, really neat time with my family. A really, really neat time. So if I sound too relaxed and you fall asleep, um, that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. You know. But um, in 2 Corinthians 12, we're going to go verses 11 through 21. And I kind of divided it up into two sections. Number one, we're going to see Paul the Apostle. And then number two, we're going to see Paul the Parent. And, and the bottom line is this. There is a battle for your souls. Okay? There's a battle for your souls. And, you know, we want to do our part that you'd go to heaven, that you'd be strong, that you would be used by God in a tremendous way, while the devil, the world, and the flesh are doing everything they can to take you in the wrong direction. See, there's a, there's a pull uh, to make you fall and to make you fall away. There's a pull of the devil and the world and the flesh to, to weaken your life, to wreck your life. There's a strategy of Satan that's going on that we have to be aware of. And sometimes it comes in subtle ways. In this case, it was people going into the church there in Corinth, claiming to be called by God, when in all reality, in a subtle way, maybe they didn't even know it themselves, but they were instruments of Satan to create division in the church. They were saying, oh, Paul's not an apostle. You know, you guys should follow us now, not him. And Paul had to fight for the church. It wasn't for his power, it was for their protection. And it's very important for us to be so careful, you guys. I mean, we want you, I want me, God wants us to be strong Christians. He, you know, he doesn't want us to be weak, he doesn't want us to be wrecked. And so there's things that we have to take heed to. And the first thing is what I would call, when we're talking about Paul being the apostle, is just how um, we really need to know apostolic truth. Uh, look what it says here in verse 11. Paul says, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. You know, Paul had been forced to boast uh, that he was an apostle. Like I told you guys before, it wasn't because it was a power trip. It was because it was a missions trip. You know, I mean, not, you know, in the sense that he himself found himself, you know, trying to esteem himself. But as an apostle, he had a responsibility. And so they were saying, Paul's not an apostle. Paul's not our leader anymore. And Paul had to kind of say, yes, I am. I'm called and commissioned by Christ. And 
let me kind of talk a little bit about some of the proof of that. And when you look at chapter 11, it's primarily you know, him talking about the suffering that he experienced. Remember that as a leader, it's not your stars, it's your scars. That was his badge of honor. And, and then he also gets into visions and revelations and things like that. You know, just kind of wanting to prove to them that he was called and commissioned by Christ. You know, and for us, it is important that we know that our leaders are anointed and appointed by God. You don't follow a man unless you see the oil on his forehead. That's okay. That's all right. But once they are, don't try to create confusion and chaos within the congregation. And that's what they were doing in Corinth. You know, guys would come in and they're trying, and we see it a lot of times, to divide the church. A lot of churches get divided, you guys. A lot of churches. It happens all the time. Because people come in, like the Bible says in Acts chapter 20, amongst yourself, and they start creating their little cliques and their own kingdoms. And next thing you know, the church is weakened, is wrecked through that. And so he says, man, I, you guys forced me, you compelled me, you should have commended me, I was an apostle, you know? I mean, you see the work the Lord has done, why wouldn't you commend me? But they didn't, you know, they were fighting him, and so he had to boast. He was forced to say, you know what, I really am an apostle, and these are the credentials that I have. And then, you know, here in looking at this, he says in verse 11, I have become a fool in boasting, you've compelled me. For I'd have been commended by you because he says, for nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles. You know, it, it, when it comes to an apostle, um, you know, there's a, why is that important? Why is it important to acknowledge Paul as an apostle? The answer to that question is primarily because the church is built on the doctrine of the apostles. That's why, you know. Um, Ephesians 2, 19 through 20 is a great cross-reference. It says, now therefore, it's talking to the Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the church is built on the foundation of the apostles, you know? And so if you don't know who the apostles are, then you uh, weaken the foundation of the church. You know, the, the Bible that we have is apostolic. It's, it's written from apostles. So at the end of the day, here's what I'm going to say, that if you don't know who the apostles are, then you don't have a Bible, you see, you've got to know who the apostles are. These are the ones that Jesus Christ himself commissioned. And Paul was one of them. You know, in, in Acts chapter 1, it's interesting. You guys could read the story later. But do you guys remember when Peter uh, tried to get another apostle to replace Judas? Do you guys remember that story? Some of you do. Um, I'll try to give you like a, a condensed version here. But Peter, you know, the Lord said this, Peter, go and tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. Go and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything until you pray. Sometimes the Lord will tell us that. Don't do anything until you pray. Okay, but Peter, you know how Peter is, impetuous Peter. You know how he is. He can't wait, man. He, I think he had ADD and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff, you know. And he couldn't wait. And so he's like, 
well, we got to replace the apostle, you know. And so what do they do? They, they came up with their own rules. I mean, some people will look at Acts chapter 1 and say, well, that's how you know who an apostle is. That's just based on what Peter said. Peter was not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen until Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 1, he says, okay, well, this is the way we're going to select an apostle. And he's got his list of things. And then, and then he says, okay, between these two, okay, God, which one do you choose? And then they threw dice and, you know, rolled the mice and all that kind of stuff. And next thing you know, they chose one Matthias. And, and I could be wrong about this, but I don't think that that was God's choice. I think that was man's choice. And the part of the reason is because, number one, you don't hear anything about Matthias. And that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is you hear so much about Paul. How Paul is just constantly identifying himself as an apostle. And how Paul himself, even in Galatians and here in 2 Corinthians, he's really fighting for that, that place. You know, there's only 12 apostles with a capital A. And that's why in the book of Revelation 21.14, it says, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so for us, I believe, and it doesn't matter, I mean, you won't lose your salvation over this, but I, you might have to sit in the back row, but I, I believe that Paul was an apostle. He wrote 13 of the 27 letters in the Bible. And so much of the book of Acts is, is, is about him, about what God did through him. So the reason why that's important is because, you know, as we're reading his writings, as we're studying his life, we're learning doctrine. So uh, for us, it's, in, it's so important. You know, he gives us ample proof here. Look what he says again in verse 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. What are signs for? Signs are to be seen. Huh? Signs are there, and uh, I don't know if you ever you know, drive the freeway, you don't know where you're, go where you're going, and you look for signs, right? Signs are to be seen. Um, you know, when you study the Gospel of John, you'll find that Jesus did seven signs. It, it's kind of cool how... John was the last gospel written. He doesn't refer to them just as miracles and wonders and stuff. He calls them signs. These are there so you could see something. What is it that he's the Christ? And that believing in him, you might have life in his name. Don't miss the signs. Have you ever missed the signs? I do it all the time. <laughs> Driving down the freeway, whoa, that was supposed to go off right there, wasn't I? You know, you want to see the signs of who Jesus is, and not only the signs of who Jesus is, but the signs of his disciples as well. You know, one of the things, and you're going to look at the difference between signs and wonders are this. Signs, they say, are to stir up the intellectual part of you. You know, when you see a sign, Jesus died and rose again, that's a sign to say there ain't no one like him. When you see the signs of Jesus, how he conquered the world through love, not violence, there ain't no one like him. When you see the signs of Jesus and the words that he spoke and the miracles that he did, raising the dead, giving you know, sight to the blind, making the lame to walk, all the signs that he did, I mean, you know, it, there's no one like him. 
It's signs for us to see. You may be a smart person here. Some of you here are very intelligent. I like to tell people that sometimes. Sometimes I'll talk to individuals who are atheists or, you know, they think that Christians don't have a brain and they're like, oh, yeah, you guys, you know, you live, you know, by faith and not by intelligence. And I say, well, you know, let me tell you something, man. There are guys, no offense, there are guys whose IQs are twice as high as yours, buddy. And they're Christians because they see the signs. You see, I mean, it's not for the non-intellectual. You look, you examine the evidence, the 23,000 manuscripts that are out there. Christianity is clearly true. And when you look at Christ, you know, there's no one like him. And then when you look at Paul the Apostle and the signs that he did. Notice he says not only the signs, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance, but he also mentions the signs and wonders there. You know, signs and wonders. Signs are given to stir up the intellectual. Wonders are given to stir up the emotional. Wow. There's just something about that. Wow. Look at what that did. That just blows you away. I wonder... (laughs) I wonder how that happened. I mean, and God does that still today, just to prove to us again, not that he has to, but I'm with you, I see you. He does little wonders in my life and little, little miracles and signs in my life, and I just, I just am so grateful for that. Paul the Apostle, he did the signs for them to see, the intellectual. He did the wonders for people to wonder, hitting the emotional. Wow, impacting us, right? One guy said, signs were miracles that conveyed a definite meaning to human intelligence. Wonders, on the other hand, were so remarkable that they stirred up human emotions. And then Paul here mentions the mighty deeds. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Mighty deeds means they're more than merely human. They're supernatural signs, divine deeds that when you put it all together, you just realize it's got to be God. It's got to be God. As a matter of fact, Acts 19.11, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles, by the hands of Paul. Unusual miracles. You guys, this guy was an apostle. There's no doubt about it. He was called and commissioned by none other than Jesus Christ. The enemy would love to have us doubt that or deny that, but this is, this is one of the guys, man, that Jesus gave his revelation to. You know, he mentions there that all these things were done uh, with all perseverance. With all perseverance. And you know what that means? It, It may refer to the fact that the signs, wonders, and miracles were done throughout the ministry of Paul with consistency. Uh, others believe it might refer simply to the fact that Paul persevered in the midst of adversity. How the enemy tried to take that leader down time and time again. And we see it happen a lot of time. Pastors quitting all the time because the ministry is not as easy as you might think. But homeboy persevered. He kept going through all of that. He never quit. He never gave up. 
And even that in and of itself is a sign. Because when you're called by God, when you're called by God, you will carry on. See? I mean, all this was done, Paul, again, just trying to encourage them to receive his teaching and his ministry and his leadership because he was called and commissioned by Christ, not for his own power, but for their protection. Because the enemy was trying to weaken them and wreck them to make them fall and even fall away. He was saying, all this is just because I love you. I'm an apostle. You know, God did all this. And I like what he says, though. Look at the end of verse 11. Four words. Though I am nothing. See, that's how you boast. If you got to boast, boast like that. Though I am nothing. You know, it's interesting. The Greek language that all this is written in is in the passive tense. And he uses the passive voice. He doesn't claim credit for these signs himself but he says that God did them through him. Remember that. All men are, are, are just men. All men were just vessels. We're here to point you to God. Remember that, you guys. It doesn't matter how good they are. It's, it's, there's nothing good in us except Jesus. And so here we see Paul is saying, I'm an apostle, and the Lord has proven it through the signs and, and wonders and mighty deeds and But at the end of the day, you know, I just want you to balance that with knowing that I am nothing. So we never get our eyes on men, you guys. You know that? We keep our eyes on who? The Lord. He's the pastor of this church. He's the teacher. He's our Lord. Now, I love what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.10. It's kind of the same combination. He says, for a while... Uh, verse 9 and 10, I'm the least of the apostles. He does call himself an apostle, but I'm the least of them who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And so first thing I, I want to encourage you guys in is just to know that Paul was an apostle. And the reason that's important is because the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. The church is built on the teaching of the apostles. And hopefully that makes you want to read your Bible. Because as you read the Bible and you realize it's all apostolic, you realize it's from Jesus, then maybe you'll turn off the TV every once in a while. Maybe you'll saturate yourself in the scriptures. Because I tell you what, that's going to make you strong. Okay? So Paul the apostle, and then secondly, Paul the parent. Look at verse 13. For, for what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved 
But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. And let me pause there. You know, I mean, it's, it's not just Paul the parent. There's a lot here, but I think there are some qualities of a parent here that we see here. And he does identify himself as a parent. And he does, in the scriptures, identify the Corinthians as his children, so to speak. Remember in 1 Corinthians 4.15, he said, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. To the Galatians, he wrote in chapter 4, verse 19, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. John would address the the church like that, often, my little children. So there's an element of seeing your role as a leader, you know, uh, sometimes in one sense as a father, although he never bears that title. Don't ever call, you know, your leader, you know, father so-and-so, because the Bible specifically forbids that. But in one sense, you can kind of see them as, as one who, at the end of the day, look what it says right here in verse 19. We do all things, beloved, for your edification. As a parent, you want the best for your children, don't you? Unless you're really messed up, man. You want the best for your children. You want them to be built up. One definition even of this word talks about improvement in their life. Everything we do as a parent, I mean, it's like almost everything is for the benefit of our children and all the decisions that we're making. We want them to build up and be strong. We want them to grow. We want them to improve in life. And he mentions uh, uh, things here that I, I think parents can identify with. Number one, when you have kids, it costs you money. Huh. Uh, doesn't it? I mean, it hits your wallet, man. And some kids, I don't know what it is. I have two children, okay? One of them, he, you know, he doesn't even... It's no big deal. The other, I won't tell you who it is. I think I already blew it, but (laughs) I don't know. Why is it that some kids have more of an expensive taste? I don't know, you know. Dad, I want Grey Poupon, you know, that type of stuff. No, we're doing French as mustard. I'm sorry, you know. (laughs) But, you know, here, when Paul went to Corinth, and, and here's the thing. At the end of the day, you're making your decisions for your children, when he went to Corinth, it wasn't good for them to support him. It just didn't work there. Paul said, I stole from other churches when I, so that when I went to Corinth, you, weren't, you didn't pay me any, any, any wages. I wasn't supported by you. As a matter of fact, if you read Acts chapter 18, when Paul got there, he was a tent maker. He met a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. They were tent makers. And, you know, they they earned their way. They got some support. That's how they made it there in Corinth. That's what he says there in in verse 13. What is it in which you were inferior to other churches? They were different than other churches. Other churches supported them. The Corinthians didn't, except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Uh, He wasn't a burden to them. Forgive me this wrong. The, The other guys were. 
They thought that that was their you know, claim to fame. When he went to Ephesus, it was the same thing. He worked in Ephesus. So there's times when you're going to work and you're going to earn your own money. There's times when the church is able to support you and God will lead you. There's times when it's right. There's times when it's wrong. It doesn't matter. If the day comes, you guys can't give and I still have to, you know, I got to get a job or whatever. I'm cool with that because we're not here. And I know Henry feels the same way. We're not here because we're getting paid. We're here because we're called. I mean, when I first entered into the ministry, I mean, I took a 50% pay cut. I lost my benefits. I had to pay for my own health insurance for years. We're not here for the money. Paul said when we were there, and you know, as parents, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you some money, right? I mean, that, that wasn't the thing. He says, I'm coming for the third time in verse 14, and, I, and again, I'm not going to be burdensome. Don't worry, I'm not going to charge you. Because I don't seek yours. I don't, I don't seek what you can give to me. I just want the best for you, right? He says, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. You know, and that's kind of a cool principle. I mean, it is good. You guys, maybe you can save up a little bit. Maybe you can't. I don't know. You got to be real careful with that, too, because sometimes kids fight over the inheritance. Huh? It's ugly. It's ugly. But maybe you can save up for a little something. I know that my wife's parents blessed us. They blessed us. We don't have to worry too much about our housing as much, you know. But, you know, uh, that's the principle there. Now, let me tell you kids this, that when your parents get older... You should take care of them. That's what the Bible says. Honor your parents. So it kind of works both ways. Parents, you're raising your kids. You're spending buku bucks on them, right? And uh, hopefully uh, the day will come, if you're still here, that they'll, they'll, they'll take care of you if necessary. Although, you know, they might just put you in a home. That's okay. Sometimes that happens. <laughs> You know, I don't know how all that works, to be honest with you. I don't want to be a burden to my kids. I don't want to. I hope and pray that I just get raptured or I, or I die in my sleep or something, you know. Uh, I don't want them to have to. But here's the thing. That's life, you guys. That's life sometimes, and that's the reality of it. And so as that general principle, you know, we as parents should do what we can to take care of our kids, give them a little something maybe, lay up for them for financially. But yeah, at the end of the day, hopefully there'll be some reciprocation to that. So parents, be nice to your kids, all right? Because one day the tables might be turned. Paul here says, you know, it's not about what I can get from you. It's what I, what I can give. I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's apparent to me. This is apparent to me. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Is that apparent? Oh, man. You know, not all kids are bad, you know, but some kids, they just need time to grow up. You know, and you love them, and you love them, and you love them. You know what this is? This is agape love. This is unconditional love. And you just keep loving them. You keep loving them. Paul here, in dealing with them, he's loving them like crazy, but it's just so crazy because he's just saying, it seems like the more I love you, the less I'm loved. It's like they take advantage of that love. They do. Well, I can treat mom and dad like, you know, no one else because they'll always love me. It's true. <laughs> but you shouldn't. But that happens huh? sometimes. As a parent, what we find is that a parent graciously provides for their children, that hits the wallet, 
a parent loves their children, uh, that hits the heart. Huh. That's the way Paul was with the church. That's the way we should be. If we're leaders, that's the way we should be with them. Don't think as a leader that if you love people, that they're going to esteem you, that they're going to love you back. And don't be in the ministry for that. Don't be in the ministry for accolades, a pat on the back, a thank you, you know, gifts, love in return. It's not like that. We're here like parents in one sense, sometimes taking care of children who need time to grow up. And sometimes that doesn't, sometimes you won't see that. Maybe you're, you know, the person after you will say, it takes time. Sometimes our kids aren't going to come to the Lord until after we die. But that's why we have to make sure we really live that life, that the message that we leave to them is all about Jesus. Because the more you love them sometimes, the, the less you're loved. But don't stop loving them. Don't let the enemy drive a wedge between you and your children. And if you're a leader, don't let the enemy drive a wedge between you and the people you're called to lead by the Lord. It doesn't matter if they love you back. It doesn't. Because you know what? Agape love is never like that. Agape love is never, well, I'll love you if you love me. Agape love is unconditional. I will love you no matter what. I will always seek your your highest good. Paul said, listen, man, we will not be a burden to you. You know, they had accused him of being crafty in this. He said, in verse 16, most people believe this is sarcastic or I, I caught you by cutting No, he says, did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? No, it's a rhetorical question. I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. That was a brother that we spoke of that was well known earlier to be accountable with the gift that they were taking. Did Titus take advantage of you? No. So apparently when Titus went to Corinth, he worked too. He worked, just like Paul. They did the same thing. He said, did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? It's so cool when you have people like that in ministry who have the same heart as you. That's where Titus was. They were not a burden to the Corinthian congregation. So is Paul doing this to please them? No. Verse 19, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We're not doing this because we want to please you or make you happy. No. We speak before God in Christ. We're doing this for the Lord, right? But we do all things, beloved, for your edification. So it's not for them necessarily. I'm not telling you all this, explaining this all to you, excusing ourselves so that you can please be pleased with us. No, I do. We do what we do because of God. You know, we're not going to be able to please everybody. That's impossible. If you try to please everybody, you'll go crazy. Remember that. A lot of people try to go crazy. Like, what kind of ice cream you like? I don't know, Neapolitan? No, come on, just tell us. You know, don't try to please everybody. Just try to please God. That's the one you're going to stand before one day. Right? He says, we, we're not here to excuse ourselves to you. We do everything before God. But in the Lord, I want you to know that he tells us to do everything for your best interest, for your edification, and here's another thing that a parent, as parent, struggles with. And I don't know, well, maybe not struggles is the right word, but I think of the word like worry. Although that's not good, you're not supposed to worry. But how many of you parents here worry? 
about your kids, right? You're, you, you're concerned with them. You care for them. Look what he says. For I fear, in verse 20, lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. You see, four things. A parent graciously provides for their children. A parent loves their children unconditionally. A parent wants the best for their children. And then a parent is concerned for their children especially if their child is up to no good. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to church anymore. They're out there and they're coming home really late and you're wondering what they're doing in the dark, right? 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12, Paul said, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Fathers, parents that know the Lord more than anything else in the world. You can take away all my money. I don't care. You can take away my house, my car, my health, my life. I don't care if my kids serve you, Lord. What matters more than that? And we care for them. Right? We, we worry. And as a leader, it's kind of got to be the same way. You care for them. The worries, the concern. Paul mentioned that earlier. If you go back to chapter 11, in verse 28, besides the other things, what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Right? It's that care. It's that concern. Sometimes it turns into worry. Hopefully it just turns into prayers. You know, for a church, what's the problem? Sin. For our kids too, Sin. The Corinthians were a carnal church. It was a carnal church. Two things that were really dominant there. Number one, division. And number two, sexual sins. Sexual sins. Most teachers believe that we can more or less divide these next 11 sins into two general problems that they were having there in Corinth. Division and sexual impurity. There's two strong inclinations that we have as people that are fallen and two strong temptations. He mentions contentions there. That's uh, heated disagreements. It comes from a Latin word that means to strive with people. He mentions jealousies there. And the Greek word carries the idea of competition and rivalries. It should never be that way. I should want you to do the best that you can, and I even hope that it's better than me. We are not competing with each other. We are completing each other, right? He mentions outbursts of wrath, and that's a sudden release of strong emotions. In this case, the emotion of extreme anger. And you know what that means? That means that you've got something inside of you building up. It's like a volcano ready to blow. See? He talks about selfish ambitions. And you know what? Ambition is not a bad thing. That means it's a strong desire to do or achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. And that can be okay, even good sometimes. The only question is why? Do you want it for your own glory? Or is God calling you there 
And selfish means a lack of consideration for others. It's a concern only for self. See, these are the things that those guys in Corinth had gone in and there was selfish ambitions, creating division. You know, and then you, all these things, it's, it's kind of an ugly, murky atmosphere within a church that can happen when there's that spirit of division there. And if that's you, if you're a seed of division, ask God to cleanse you of that. We should all have a heart for unity, right? I mean, and some of the ways it manifests itself is backbitings. He mentions backbitings. Malicious talk about someone who is not present, right, behind their backs. If you find yourself talking maliciously about somebody, you're guilty of that. Whisperings. Hey, hey, can I share something with you? It's just a prayer request. Get on the phone. Hey, you know what happened yesterday at, you know, church? Whisperings. Go to, go to the source. Go to the person. You got a problem. Don't let the enemy use you. Right? He mentions conceits right here. In the King James Version, it calls it a swelling, a puffing up of the soul, a loftiness, pride. He mentions tumults. And that kind of is the way that it all ends up. Tumults is uh, instability, a state of disorder, disturbance, confusion. You see, who's the author of confusion? The devil. That's what the devil tries to do in churches, not just this church, you guys, you got to know in every single church that's teaching the word that loves the Lord, that's making a difference, the devil will come in and, and try to do all these things. Okay, so be really careful sins of division and sins of impurity. And tragically, you can talk to anyone that knows a little bit about what's going on in churches, these are things that are way too common. Look what he says right here in verse 21. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many of you who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. This will ruin you. This will ruin you. You guys, we're a, we're a body. We're a body of believers, you know. And even though the person next to you might not look like you, they might look a little funny. You know, they might even smell a little funny or they sing a little funny or whatever. You know what? We're a body. We're a body of believers and we have to be united. Don't let the enemy divide us, you guys. You know, I found myself, like with my wife, I found myself, I have many flaws, I do. I acknowledge that. Thank God that she makes up for them. She does. And you're going to look in the church and you're going to see flaws. But you know what? You make up for them. And together, I know God will do a great work. Beware of uh, gossip, slander. You know, when we recently, we went uh, snorkeling, my son and I. Oh, it's so beautiful. And we saw this little teeny fish. It's a little teeny fish that goes up to other fishes and cleans them. I don't know if you guys have seen him. Sean might even know the name of the fish, but it's, a, it's only found in the area that we were snorkeling in. And so he's cleaning the, the fish with his mouth, you know? But you know what it was cool? He actually went into the other fish's mouth, inside the other fish's mouth, and he started cleaning inside the other fish's mouth. 
And I thought, Lord, you are so amazing to me. That's how they take a shower in the sea, huh? And I think that in one sense, I've always hated gossip, that God would want to clean up our mouth. Don't, don't talk unless you think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And then beware of sexual sin. You know, we're living in a world where you look at billboards, magazines, commercials, television. You have the sexual temptations everywhere. And so many guys are ruined by that. The Bible says that even those who were strong were slain by her. You know, here he mentions a few words in closing. He mentions the word fornication, and that's sex outside of marriage. You guys know that, right? When, you know, two people are married, you know, before they get married, they're not supposed to have sex. You got to wait until you get married. Is that clear? I mean, that's simple. Wait. And if you're married, you be faithful to the one you're married to. Don't go looking at other girls or other guys because you're going to get yourself in trouble. The eyes, in many ways, are the window to the soul. So, you know, some people will say, okay, well, I won't, like, fornicate, but can I do this? Can I do that? And that's where these other words come in. Uncleanness. Uncleanness. That's, that's dirty. That's like a dirty old man. Right? Dirty old, dirty old lady. No offense, ladies. And you could be young or you could be old. It doesn't matter. Dirty magazines. Dirty pictures. Right? And then there's lewdness. And you guys know what lewdness is? I mean, I hate to be graphic, but someone that might expose themselves. You guys don't... Man, I tell you what. And I, and I can't make this a mandate, but I, I better hurry up and close here. Wait until you get married before you start making out. Wait until you get married. You tell that girl, you tell that guy, I'm going to wait until I get married. And you know, when they get married and you say, you may kiss your bride, that means something. Now you have the permission, those lips are now yours. Because what happens happen when you start making out with somebody? One thing leads to another. You start touching. And you start going to other places that you shouldn't go to. You know, well, I won't fornicate. Well, don't be dirty either. And don't be lewd either. Why? Because God loves us, man. God wants us to have this victory in life. And, you know, I think for us as leaders in the church, and we can all in one sense be leaders in the church, let's help each other in this. You know, let's help each other in these things today. And just know that at the end of the day, it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And if you don't know Him, I pray that today you would truly make Him the Lord and Savior of your life. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.